If you're new to our church, uh, it's kind of what we did this past summer. Uh, if it's kind of new to you, uh, it's okay. We're all at, in your shoes at one point, and, uh, but uh, we've just been following the leading of the Spirit. And it's just been wonderful, the kind of fruit and power that uh, God is uh, displaying through this church, and just through, not just through the pastors and through just the leadership, but even just through uh, regular members of the church. Uh, they are going out, and they're just, just obeying the Lord and following the leading of the Spirit and the anointing of God just coming out through them to, to set people free. Uh, many people that you see uh, falling and, and spilling all over the place, you know, they're getting set free from all kinds of bondage. Uh, people, some people get physical healings. Other people get inner healing. Uh, other people just get empowered and called into ministry. Uh, God does amazing works. And this is uh, not new. It's in the Bible. You know, if you read in the book of Acts, you know, the apostles, even Jesus himself, he moved in signs and wonders. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff you saw there that will make you wonder. That's, that's what it is. It's a sign and a wonder. And uh, our God, he, he's a God of power. No doubt about that. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. And uh, we'll be looking at this passage. I want you to keep it there. And other Bible passages will be up on PowerPoint. So uh, just keep your passage, keep your Bible opened up to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. All right, Sister Sonny read it already. And so I'm going to be referencing this. Hallelujah. You know, I've been covering a sermon series lately called Make War. Somebody say, Make War. And last week I preached on making war against a cheap spirit. And it's been very cool to see people applying that word right away into their everyday lives. One of our newcomers, our brother Dale, uh, he was asking God last week how he can apply uh, the sermon that he heard. And then he found out that Sister G's camera was broken. So this guy, Dale, offered... To take the camera and get it fixed through a friend that he knows. Last week was the first time they met, by the way. And on top of this, he went out of the way to mail her another camera because she takes a lot of, she works in orphanages, so she, he didn't want her to miss out on all the moments. So he sent out another camera so she can use it in the meantime. Hallelujah. Now there's a man that's laying the smack down on the cheap spirit. Amen. That's good stuff. That's some good stuff. Hallelujah. Now today I'm going to continue the sermon series by making war on what is called a religious spirit. Let's turn to Matthew 12. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Hallelujah. Let's stop there. I want you all not to get this mixed up. This here is not the voice of a critical spirit. This is a religious spirit. And as you can see, religious spirits, number one, they're very uptight. They're very uptight. Have you been around people like that? Right? They're just very good Christians. But they're just very uptight. You know, or, or maybe you're not a Christian. And you're sitting here today and you're like, that's one of the reasons why I don't even want to be a Christian. Because when I see Christians, man, a lot of them are just so uptight. They're just so like wound up. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' time, they were righteous and devout men. And they were highly esteemed, honored, and respect, respected by all the people. But the problem with many of them were, they were filled with a religious spirit. Now, religious spirits are all about appearing right and religious. They're all about the outer appearance. They're so concerned with things to go right and to appear right that they come off as very uptight. And when they see something off, they're, they don't know how to just let things go. They don't know how to just let things slide. Uh, if you say something wrong, they'll be the first to give you a lecture on it. If the way you say it or the way you dress is wrong, they'll feel like it's their job to rebuke you and put you in your place. Um, 
Freedom is foreign to people under a religious spirit. And if you hang out with the wrong crowd, people that are not dressed right, they don't speak right, they will whisper about it to others because they're very, very uptight. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, is an earlier passage, Jesus was just hanging out and he was eating with tax collectors and so-called sinners. And the Pharisees saw this and they started to whisper among each other because it didn't seem right to them. So Jesus overheard this and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is like, y'all just need to chill out. Don't be so uptight. Right? Don't hate, celebrate. What's going on here in this room? This is what it's all about. Bringing healing to the sick. Bringing the power and the kingdom of God to those who are sinners. You know, the Pharisees were so uptight about seeing Jesus with sinners, people with tattoos, people with piercings all over their face and whoever knows where else, people who are drinking and smoking, you know, people who wear gothic clothes and makeup, right? They were so uptight about things like this that they couldn't celebrate the incredible revival that was taking place. You know, I remember the first time that I hung out with Brother Larry. About a year and a half ago. Larry had just become a Christian. I was meeting him for weekly Bible studies. And there was an anointing that was coming upon him to break depression off of his life. He had clinical depression for many years. And and, uh, one Sunday after church, we were sitting at a table with a couple of other guys. I don't remember who they were. And while we were talking, Larry just kept dropping curse words everywhere. I don't even know if he knows that he did that. But he just kept dropping curse words. And I noticed that the brothers that were sitting in front of us were a bit stunned. And they stopped smiling when they noticed that Larry kept using expletives. And they seemed more concerned about appearing right and religious. And they were more concerned about Larry's sailor vocabulary making them feel so uncomfortable. But for me, you see, I didn't even flinch. It didn't even matter to me. Why? Because I was rejoicing and celebrating in the work of revival that was taking place in this young man's life. Oftentimes, smoking, drinking, cursing, all these are not the real issue. The real issue is, these people need Jesus. These people need to know Jesus. The more they know Jesus, all those problems will take care of its own. Hallelujah. I can't remember the last time Larry cursed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And uh, in Matthew 9, you don't have to turn there. After religious spirits, they point out who Jesus was hanging out with. In the very next passage, they criticize him and his disciples for not fasting. And so Jesus takes this occasion to teach an awesome truth. Actually, do I have Matthew 4, 9, 14 up there? No? Okay. I'm going to read that for you guys. Actually, why don't you turn there? It's only a chapter earlier. Matthew 9, verse 14 to 17. The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Look, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Hallelujah. You know, people with a religious spirit are not accurately described as critical, but stubborn. They're not accurately described as critical, but stubborn. And an old wineskin represents the stubbornness of a religious spirit. 
See, old wineskin is not moldable, it's not stretchable. It is unable to contain and understand new experiences. So if they get an outpouring of new wine, stubborn minds, people with the religious spirit, their stubborn minds will tilt and they end up rejecting it altogether. And there's a lot of this happening on the earth right now as God is pouring out his spirit in unprecedented fashion. Satan has planted religious spirits into the minds of many of our church leaders and many of them stubbornly reject various revivals of today utilizing man-made formulas rather than true discernment. Hallelujah. You know, in our Christian life, every one of us is vulnerable to allowing our hearts to become like old wineskins. You know, um, the more experiences, knowledge, and wisdom we gain as Christians, the more likely we are to consider that the old wine, right, the revival of yesterday is better and dismiss new moves of God before they get a chance to come into maturity. Hallelujah. That was my own wording, by the way. That's not Bill Johnson. <laughs> it's good. I've been praying and asking God for wisdom, man. He's been giving me some good... I've never worded my sermons like this. You might be like, is that yours? Yeah, this is mine. This is mine. I'm reading that again. I'm so glad I'm going to read it again. All right. The more experiences, knowledge, and wisdom we gain, the more likely we are to consider the old wine, yesterday's revival, to be better and to dismiss new moves of God before it comes into maturity. For example, hymns, hymnals, they are rich in theology and music. And back in the day, the anointing of God was upon hymns. And it was very powerful. That's why so many people in our parents' generation, they just swear by them. But we got to face it. Look, today the anointing ain't on those hymns. I, now and then, we, you know, we sing Amazing Grace, we sing a hymnal here and there, we get touched. But why is it that many churches today, they don't choose to sing hymns? Why? Because the anointing that was on the hymns yesterday is not there. The anointing has moved on to something else. And we can honor hymns and sing them from time to time. But there are new potent moves of God that are coming into maturity right now that I believe surpasses the glory of the hymns. And if Jesus takes a while to return, God's spirit may move in a fresh way and we will need to stop singing Hillsong United in the future. And we will need to move on to other music that God has anointed in that day. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the effects of old wineskin can disqualify us for new outpourings of God's Spirit. That's why it's so important that we make war against a religious spirit. Or else there will be amazing things God's doing on the earth and you're just going to miss out on it completely. We cannot take everything that God anoints and turn it into a rule for governing revival a generation later. That's not a new wineskin heart. That's a stubborn, old wineskin heart. We got to observe how and where God's spirit is moving, and we got to adjust accordingly. Amen? We got to adjust wherever God's spirit goes. That's where he wants to go. Why do you want to go there? Why can't we stick with the hymns? I don't know. Where's the, where's the wind go? You don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. Yeah, exactly. That's the spirit of God, Jesus said. Our responsibility is just to adjust and adapt as the Spirit of God moves. Now, let me explain to you why many people tend to end up with an old wineskin heart. Um, Deuteronomy 6.17. Throw that up there. The Word of God says, this is a very wonderful teaching. This is from Bill Johnson. All right, let me see if I can preach it. Deuteronomy 6.17. The Word of God says in the ESV, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Now, if you guys are taking mental notes, there are three things God wants us to keep here. First are the commandments of the Lord. All right, this is fairly, fairly easy to understand. All right, whatever, you, whatever God commanded, you just do them. Right? 
God says, honor your mother and father, you honor your mother and father. He says, don't bow down to an idol, you better not bow down to an idol. Second, God tells us to keep the testimonies of the Lord. This means developing a habit of remembering and declaring the stories of God's supernatural interventions in history and in our own lives. We need to develop this habit, brothers and sisters. The Word of God says in Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts. And in verse 6 it says, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Hallelujah. Keeping the testimonies of God, this is another message altogether, means to declare His supernatural interventions in your life, and in history. And when we declare what God has done, there's a release of power. And we've recently been learning how to develop a culture that celebrates the power of a testimony, right? In the video, you saw Mina and Aaron on the mic. What they were doing that night in Australia was they were just simply sharing their testimony. And I'm telling you, man, the young people that night, all 150 of them, they were messed up. They were messed up. They were at the altar crying and repenting their heart out because the power of God went out. Through the spoken testimony. But the third thing, and this is what I want to emphasize here. The third thing God wants us to keep is his statutes. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, keep the statutes of the Lord. You know, keeping the statutes of the Lord is different than keeping the commandments of the Lord. You know, God's statutes, what they are, are. They are the principles and the underlying supreme values that are contained in the commandments of God. They are the principles and supreme values underlying all the commandments of God for our lives. So, for example, God gives us a promise that if we honor our parents, we will be blessed with long life. Right? This reveals a statute of God's nature and kingdom. That life flows through giving honor. Somebody say amen. Amen. God commands us to keep his statutes because he does not want us to only do what he says, but he wants us to understand why he commands certain things. He wants his people to gain insight into the principles and wisdom that are hidden in his commands so that we can mature as a people who think like him and are at oneness with him. Hallelujah. You know, people are, people who are filled with the religious spirit, they're great at keeping the commandments of God. They can check it right off. They're great at doing that. But they are clueless in keeping the testimonies and statutes of God. They love upholding traditions and long lists of rules, but they have no interest in going deeper into the Father's heart and discovering the spirit that is governing those commands. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says, if you look up on the screen, it says, Woe to you! Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You guys get that? Right here, Jesus says, He says that there are more important matters of the law. What are the more important matters of the law? They are the statutes of God. Right? When keeping God's word, we ought to practice the statutes of God and they should never be at the mercy of the commandments of God. Does somebody say amen? Amen. So I understand what I'm saying here. I'm getting a whole bunch of examples, but I gotta stay, stick with my script here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go too long. Hallelujah. Yeah, like, I mean, for example, like, you know, 
Sorry, I, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. For, for example, you know, God says, should not, should not steal. Right? And you shouldn't steal, y'all. Y'all shouldn't steal. Hallelujah. But sometimes there may be situations where you're not, we're not where you're forced to steal, but you still have a choice. But you making a particular choice for love or for life incorporates you implying that you may steal in that situation. For example, right? If, um, like, you know, this is like the case with Robin Hood, right? And Robin Hood is not the best example, but Robin Hood, there's a principle work, there's a statue working behind what he's doing, right? Robin Hood, he went around and he would rob rich people and give that money to the poor people, right? And that's wrong. He should not steal, right? But there, there may be instances, for example, alright, I'm gonna give you a better example right now, it just came to me. Alright, in World War II, right? There are people, religious Christians during World War II, they had a clear conscience problem when it came to hiding Jews in their attic. Because when the Nazis came, Nazi police would come, they would have to lie in order to protect the, the Jews that are hiding in their attic. Now religious spirit was like, will be like, look, you, you should never tell a lie. Alright? You should just, you should just tell them the truth, and then God will deal with it. It's like, come on. The statutes that are underneath that command not to lie, there are statutes of love, mercy, faithfulness. And God is, Jesus is saying, why are y'all doing all the things that are right on the outside, but you're completely missing out on the inside? You should have practiced this, not that. Hallelujah. I hope that example was good, because I'm going to stop there. Go back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus confronts the religious leaders about the Sabbath. This is the original passage. And the religious leaders, they had an A plus in keeping the commandments of God. But they had an F when it came to keeping his statutes. They were trying to set Jesus up so they can accuse him. They thought that Jesus' blatant breaking of the Sabbath proved that he was not truly from God. But what Jesus was trying to show was that what he was doing was not about breaking the commandments of God, but it was more about keeping the statutes of God. The values that were hidden in the Sabbath command were mercy and goodness. But the religious people, they failed to see this. You see, Jesus said elsewhere in the gospel, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. And what we as Christians must do is, when we speak out the word of God, whether you're evangelizing or counseling or just sharing with someone, when you speak out the word of God, it's not just enough just to get the right words out. You must speak out the life that is in those words. Amen? Hallelujah. Uh, I just wanted to amen myself. Just came out. Religious spirits, they take the words of God, which are spirit and life, and they turn it into structure and death. Hallelujah. You know, a religious spirit is prone to old wineskin hearts, and there's a stubborn pride because it emphasizes the commandments of God while throwing out the statutes of God. And you know, another thing I've noticed, this is just a little bonus, People with a religious spirit, they love tradition more than testimonies. Can you all see it? They love tradition more than testimonies. You know, recently I've been sharing testimonies from our Australia trip. You saw in the video that God was doing a mighty work. And I was sharing with a lot of different friends. And each time I share, man, my heart just gets pumped with just fresh praise and thanksgiving and revelation. I'm just like, hallelujah. I just want to praise and have church right there in the place. Every time I share that testimony. But what I noticed is, and what amazed me, were that some people could so easily brush off what I shared, not utter a single hallelujah, and just focus 
on their concerns about how I am not conforming to certain religious standards and traditions. Amazed. That they will completely miss the point of what God was doing. They were not able to celebrate the revival that was taking place in Australia. And all they do, they can't even utter, oh, oh praise God. But they, all they want to do is focus on Christian, you need to hurry up and graduate seminary. You need to hurry up, go get a master of divinity. By the way, you're, this, this pastor, uh, I do not have a master of divinity. Okay. I don't have, I don't have an ordination. Hallelujah. That makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're sitting there already. Just, just listen to the rest of the message. That'd be good. But yeah, and there are some people, man, that's all, that's all they want to talk to me about every time I meet them. And it's just like, man, what is going on through your head? You know why? It's because religious spirits, they love tradition more than testimonies. Whenever religious authorities, they heard that Jesus or the apostles healed somebody new, they didn't rejoice. They get upset. That such men were increasing in influence without conforming to their traditions and values. Jealousy will rise up. You know, I noticed the strategy of a religious spirit is to box in the testimonies of God uh, to certain time periods or dispensations. And uh, people with the religious spirit wholeheartedly believe all the miracles and healings that took place in the Bible and in history. But they believe that those testimonies do not reveal the nature of God and His kingdom for today. They believe that, they believe that it reveals the nature of God and His kingdom for a particular time period set apart by well-educated men. That's what people with religious spirit believe. They box in the testimonies of God. You know, since they're so focused on commandments, on traditions, and on the letter of God's word. And not on the statutes, on the heart, and on the spirit of God's words. People with a religious spirit can appear very religious and spiritual on the outside. But inside they're dead. They're, they're dead. And you can often tell... You can identify them after a generation of ministry. There's no fruit. There's no people getting saved. Everything looks polished and great on the resume. But they ain't bringing nobody into the kingdom. They ain't getting nobody healed and delivered. They're not getting nobody set free. And what the Bible says is religious spirits... People with the religious spirit, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. Religious spirits find comfort in systems and in structure. Things that they can control and, and take hold of. 2 Corinthians 3.6, the Bible teaches that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Turn to your name and tell them that. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Brothers and sisters, it is so important that we are not led by the letters of tradition and rules, but by the Spirit of God. Amen? That's what the church needs. Hallelujah. We need to get deeper with God. Not just do the commands, to keep the commands, to, to go deeper into the heart of our Father and to know why have you commanded me these things, Lord? Teach me your ways. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is the river of living water. Amen. Wherever the Spirit of God goes, there's life. You know, a religious spirit is uptight, they're stubborn, 
But uh, as I just mentioned, a religious spirit will also make a person appear righteous on the outside, but they got nothing of substance in the inside. They're dead in the inside. And people often call this hypocrisy. That's That's the third aspect of a religious spirit. They're full of hypocrisy. You know, when they give, they do it to be seen by men. When they pray, they love to stand and pray in the church and say all the right words and say this wonderful, magnificent prayer and pray at all the public events so that they can be seen by others. But they rarely take time to pray on their own. When they fast, they let everybody know that they're fasting. They love appearing righteous on the outside before men. But inside, they have no life. Instead, they are full of various selfish and immoral motives. This is what Jesus said about those with the religious spirit. Matthew 23, verse 27. Throw it up there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we should have not taken part, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Why, why am I screaming like this? Right? This is the spirit by which Jesus was saying this word. And sometimes when the word of God is spoken, you need to, you need to represent, we need, you need to give honor to the spirit by which God was, Jesus was saying these things. Hallelujah. He's giving a harsh rebuke. He called them, you whitewashed tombs. You know what a tomb is? What's inside of a tomb? Dead people. Death is inside of a tomb. Nobody looks, Nobody likes looking inside of a tomb. But Jesus is saying, you decorate the outside, you make, you make everything look great, but inside you're full of death. There's no life of God in you. You're full of hypocrisy actually, and lawlessness. And then he says something really interesting. He doesn't just ignite this generation, he indicts their whole ancestral generation. Like everybody in all their grandmas and grandpa, like all their uncles, he indicts them by, he says, he says, you build the tombs of the prophets. What does that mean? He says, you killed the prophets and forerunners that I sent before me. All the righteous prophets that went before, many of them were killed. They were persecuted and they were martyred. And Jesus is saying, look, it wasn't the pagan people that don't know God that did this. It was you. You did it. You did those, you did, you killed the forerunners and the, and the prophets that I sent ahead of me. And then you decorate their monuments and say, well, if we lived in there, we would have never done that. And he said, you're guilty just by what you just said. These are your fathers and you're doing exactly what they're doing. That's what Jesus is saying. And you know what? This is not a problem of Jesus' day. This is a problem of today, brothers and sisters. For a religious spirit is alive and strong in the churches today. Do not think that this is a Pharisee problem. For that same religious spirit that those Pharisees were under is the same religious spirit that is operating in many churches today. And man, I'll tell you, man, if you look at the history of, of Pentecostal movement, and then you look at the history of the charismatic movement. Then you look at the history of the neo-charismatic movement. You know what's common across all three of those movements? Persecution. People getting hurt. People being slandered. You know, back... I won't mention his name. And God bless this author. You know, hallelujah. There's like two authors that come to mind. And when, during the 80s and early 90s, when... Things like Toronto Blessing was happening. All right, if, you, if I'm dropping these names and you feel uncomfortable, all right, look, check this out. My challenge to you 
Is it right? Don't make prejudgments. Don't, don't make judgments and convictions without investigating yourself. Look at the fruit. Jesus said, wisdom is proved by her children. Before you judge a ministry, look at the fruit of the ministry. Can I tell you right now, these two particular authors and critics, they slandered the charismatic movement back in the early 90s. They called it a counterfeit revival. They said they're driving out demons by the prince of demons. And they said all of that is just sensationalism and a lot of that is just evil spirits manifesting through these people. They slandered them. And you know what? The sad thing is, 15, 20 years later, a lot of the churches in America today, they have accepted and they're beginning to honor a lot of these men that have gone ahead of us. They're the forerunners. And, but not all of them made it. A lot of them, they just shriveled up and died because they couldn't handle all the slander. But they began to honor them. But these two critics, man, and I'm sure there's a whole roster full of them, they've never once humbled themselves and said, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. Like, like you know, so, so many people, it's so easy to, to, to slam the uh, Toronto Airport Church. Real, real easy, right? I haven't been there myself. All I know are the testimonies that have come from that church. Okay? A lot of people say, man, that's just sensationalism. People are like doing all kinds of weird stuff over there, laughing crazy, man. They just, they're just crazy. I don't know. I don't, that's not church I know. That's not God that I know. And they reject. They reject the new wine because they, they think the old wine is better, right? But if you look at the fruit of what came out of Toronto Airport Church, one of those fruits, right, is Heidi Baker. If you know her testimony, right, go to um, Messianic Vision. Go to Sid Roth. He has a, he's like a Larry King of the charismatic movement. He, t- he interviews everybody who's, a, who's anybody in the charismatic movement. And what's great about it is um, he's a Messianic Jew and he, and he just keeps things real simple. And you're able to hear the testimonies of all these incredible people. And one of them is Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker, she did all these years of ministry in Mozambique trying to reach orphans. For, I don't know, like seven years. So she tried to all do this stuff. And then she was just burnt out. She was at the end of the rope. She visited Toronto Airport Church. And I believe it was Randy Clark who had been slandered so many times. But God bless the man. He's still going strong. Randy Clark prayed for her. I believe Randy Clark and somebody else prayed for her, something like that. And she got slain in the power of God. She was on the ground crying and shaking and weeping for like three or four days straight. We, we've seen some of this at our church here. And God was asking her, do you want Mozambique? Do you want Mozambique? And the only cry of Heidi Baker's heart while she was on the ground was, Lord, give me Mozambique. I don't care how much it costs, give me Mozambique. And Mozambique is one of the poorest nations in the world. She prayed that. And God gave her anointings, gifts, imparted it into her life through that conference. The next seven years of her ministry, they have seen explosive growth. Thousands of churches planted, not only in Mozambique, but all over Africa. They have a ministry called Iris Ministries. They train up future leaders. Leaders from America travel to Mozambique to get their training. And... And they marry some of the leaders that are from Mozambique. <laughs> One of our sisters, she married Heidi Baker's adopted son. Anyway, um, and we have a personal connection because, you know, we know Heidi through a personal friend that, you know, she used to be a member here at our church. And we know the fruit of this ministry. Hallelujah. But religious spirits, they just can't celebrate that. They can't see it because they're so caught up with traditions. And doing everything the right way. You know, religious spirits, and when I say religious spirits, I do mean evil spirits. These are demons, demonic forces. This is just not you. Part of it is you, but there's a lot of elements of here of compulsion that are driven by demonic spirits. And these religious spirits, they target those that are in the inside of the church. Who have various issues with insecurity and who have desires for power, sex, and or position. And when the leadership of a church is not discerning and they're not spirit-filled, people like this, they can easily come into positions of authority. But 
because they can have the right resume, they dress nice, their behavior looks great, and they're just easy to get in there. And once they are there and they're, and usually religious spirits, they're driven by externals, right? So they're driven by the, to seek the praises of men. Now when a person's desire to please men outweighs their desire to please God, that's a religious spirit. And you will find hypocrisy and every form of lawlessness not too far behind. When you have a person filled with the religious spirit in a place of influence and authority. Now people in positions of religious authority, they have been known to lie about their college education. You know, my home church in New Jersey, when I left high school, for high school, they had another pastor come in. Guess what? A year later they found he was sleeping with one of the the deaconesses in the church. Then they found out he forged his degree. He didn't even have a seminary degree. He had two daughters of his own. And and this... Anyway, it happens. People in religious authority, they steal from the church treasury. They, Like I mentioned, they sleep with a member of the congregation. They homosexually abuse little boys. They slander other anointed men and women of God presumptuously. We find it surprising that these forms of lawlessness would ever be found within people that appear so righteous, right? What a surprise. How could that even ever happen? We look at a guy like Ted Haggard and we're like, what happened? And I'll tell you right now, when a person is filled with a religious spirit, they're not truly righteous. They just appear that way. And this is their cover-up. The religious outside is their cover-up for their selfish ambition, pride, sexual immorality, or insecurity. And I'm telling you right now, if the ordination processes of the church are not lifted off the pages of methodology and put back into the hands of the Spirit of God through, through prophecy and gifts of prophecy... If this is not done, we're going to continue to see this kind of abusive authority. A religious spirit makes a man uptight, stubborn, and full of hypocrisy. Now, I want to take a moment and just go back to stubbornness. Would you be surprised if I told you, how many of you in here would consider yourself stubborn? I'm pretty stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'm raising my hand, by the way. I'm stubborn. Would you be surprised if I told you that stubbornness is idolatry? You might be like, I don't know about that. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it is in the Bible. It's not my words. It's the Bible's. First Samuel chapter 15. When Saul disobeyed the voice of the Lord and did not completely annihilate the Amalekites, this is what the prophet Samuel said. He said, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. In other words, stubbornness is as idolatry. Stubbornness, arrogance, presumption, insubordination, and an inability, inability to bend is a serious matter because God considers it as serious as idolatry. And I'm not talking about a stubbornness of the will here. Right? A lot of us were, you know, hey, you know, go, I don't know, like go do something. No, I don't want to do it. Okay, you're stubborn. Yeah, I know. You know and, and there's a stubbornness of the will. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the stubbornness of the mind. This is different. And what you notice is that religious spirits are very heady. They're very cerebral, very analytical. They're all about knowledge and gaining more knowledge. That's how they have leverage on you, is they know more than you. They're all about the mind. And when you're stubborn in the mind because you believe that your religious beliefs are correct, when in actuality, you did not come to those convictions through the Holy Spirit and searching scripture, but out of your own interpretation and entrusting the interpretations of very smart men.
what you are essentially doing when you trust and are stubborn about those convictions of your mind, what you're essentially doing is idolatry. What are you doing? You are worshiping your mind. You are exalting your mind above God. That's why stubbornness is as idolatry. You know, Psalm 106, verse 36, makes it clear that behind every idol is a demon. In fact, did you know that Jesus used the harshest tone not with the prostitutes, not with the tax collectors, but with the religious leaders of his day? And he actually went further and he exposed the truth of their spiritual condition. Look at John 8.44. Look up. Look at, look at this. He looks at them and says, What did you, you say to me? What? Look, check this out. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. Matthew twenty three fifteen, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. I, I mean, I, I just don't think Jesus gets any harsher than this in his tone. You're like, what? Jesus did not say that. Jesus is all about love. Look, I don't know what picture you have of Jesus, but my Jesus is not a wimp. He's not a pushover. All right? He was a carpenter. Homeboy had biceps and triceps and pectorals. (laughs) Carried a hammer around. I don't think he was all lovey and dovey with the 12 disciples either. Man, man, pass me that bread. Come here. Come on, man. Hey, man, just... No, he, he, was, he was like one of the dudes. He's not, he not a wimp. And Jesus, when it was appropriate, he told it like it is. Brothers and sisters, we got to war against a religious spirit because it is straight up demonic. It is from the pits of hell. These are not people that are just thinking different than us. These are not just people that are over analytical. These are not just people that disagree with us. These are people that are filled with the wrong spirit. And for those who are given completely to a religious spirit, do not be surprised if later you find out they're not, they're not even true Christians. You know, Christians can be uptight, stubborn, and hypocritical. But true hypocrites and idolaters are not true Christians. Y'all get that? Christians can be uptight, stubborn, and hypocritical, but true hypocrites and idolaters are not true Christians. They're Judases. Alright, they just appear right on the outside, but inside, Jesus already knows their heart. Alright, check this out. Matthew 23, 13. Check this out. This is what Jesus said to those who were completely given over to religious spirit. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of men, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. And he checked this out. He says, You yourselves do not enter. What is that telling you? He's talking to a people that are not one of us. Hallelujah. How, how would he know that? All right, because Jesus was a Calvinist, okay? He already predestined. He knows, okay, what was going to happen, all right? Because he's the one who chose. He elected those who, who would come on of salvation. Hallelujah. That's another matter. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, I went over the can of worms. I'll close that right back up. Let's get back to this topic. Okay, he says, you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Man. And then Matthew 15, he says, you hypocrite. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, before you think a religious spirit is just a they problem, okay? 
I'm, I'm telling you right now that when you're completely given over to religious spirit, all right, because there are people like that. And my suspicions of some of these authors, man, it's just, it's just, I just think they're actually just children of the devil. They're just not one of us. That's how they can just be so slanderous and not have any regret. But, but anyway, that's, we think, we may start to think, oh, this is from Jesus' harsh tone, that religious spirit is just they problem, but it's not. Every one of us is vulnerable to being attacked. And check this out. They will attack you from within and also through people from the outside. And what we need to do as a church is we need to make war on a religious spirit. Amen? Um, here's how you can make war. Here's the three practical points. All right, number one, since a religious spirit is uptight, check this out. Be loose. Be free. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christianity is not about being all uptight and, oh, you said something wrong, you did something wrong, Larry cursed last week. Okay, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about being able to look past that and celebrating the revival taking place in the tax collector's house. Celebrating the revival of a young man that can deliver from depression. Be loose. Right? When you go out evangelize, don't be afraid of the guy smoking a cigarette. Right there, it's a sign that they need Jesus. I'm telling you, man, people who've done drugs and smoked and drank, I'm telling you, man, they're the ones who are the first ones up here at the altar when they do get saved. They just, they love all them crazy, wonderful experiences. So they, they when they find it, that, that there's a true experience in the, in the power of God, they're all over it. Be loose, be free. Number two. Since a religious spirit makes people stubborn, the way you make war against it is to keep a childlike heart. A childlike heart overcomes the religious spirit. We can't depend on our own understanding. The Bible says spiritual truths can only be spiritually discerned by the Spirit of God. If you are trusting your own interpretations or the interpretations of smart men with MDivs and THMs and PhDs, okay, take on a childlike heart and read the Bible again. Let the Spirit of God teach you. The Bible says, Jesus said, the Spirit of truth will come. He will lead you into all truth. We do need spiritual mentors. We need people to speak into our lives. Let's not dodge the issue. The person you must depend on the most is the Holy Spirit. And the only way the Holy Spirit is going to give you revelation is if you're humble and you keep a childlike heart. Not a man that's idolizing his mind and being stubborn in his ways. Number three, since the religious spirit makes people full of hypocrisy, instead of focusing on outer righteousness, focus on relationship. Focus on relationship and not on just appearing righteous. Religious spirits, they love knowledge. They love more knowledge, more archaeological background, more hermeneutics, more... more. And that's not the dog on this because I myself don't have this kind of background, so I shouldn't be dogging on this at all. But they thrive on knowledge. But look, what we need is not more knowledge, what we need is people that know God in relationship. Not a bunch of people that can recite a bunch of different interpretations and background info, but a people that obey the Word of God in relationship with Him. And if religious spirits attack you from the outside, let me give you a piece of advice from looking at how Jesus dealt with religious spirits. Uh, I did go through all of these um, passages where Jesus is yelling at them. Okay, okay. He didn't yell at them all the time, twenty four seven. All right, because they were they were around all the time. Everywhere he went, they were around. And guess what? Even in this church, there's always going to be people who are uh, who are in varying degrees under religious spirit. Or there may be even people here that are more like Judas's that are actually here. And let me tell you right now, I know who you are. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. God does. God does. No, but um, 
What was I saying? Yeah, I mean, um, he didn't yell at them all the time. Uh, if you look at Matthew 12, okay, if you read this whole passage, every time these religious spirits spoke up, it's very interesting what Jesus did. Jesus would respond with a question. That's how he dealt with people who attacked him with the religious spirit from the outside. He would just ask them questions. And this, this makes a lot of sense. I think this is a revelation from God. It's a statute of why he did what he did. You see, people with the religious spirit, they have old wineskin hearts. Thus, they are stubborn. And they are so stubborn that their hearts are not moldable or stretchable. They're very set on their ways and their traditions. And it's very hard for such people to change their minds so quickly. Right? And so, you think about it, their dignity is on the line. They have spoken up. They've written books about this issue. Their dignity is on the line. So I think the wisdom of Jesus here is to let them just come to their own conclusions. And it's a very loving thing he does. He just asks some questions to get their wheels turning. Okay. So check this out. If somebody comes up at you and just be like, you know, what your church is going through, what they're experiencing over there, that's not from God. You know, this is what the Bible says. And, you know, spiritual gifts, they ceased when the Bible was canonized. And fivefold ministers are not for today. You know, you are telling me people at your church are raising up apostles and prophets. That's, that's her- heresy. And then, you know, they say all these things, they, and, they, and you don't even know what, what the argument is. You're just like, huh? Why are you so upset? <laughs> right? And they're just coming at you like that? Look, even if you know the answer, don't try to prove yourself. Don't try to persuade them. Because the more you do that, the more you're going to, you're fighting in the flesh. Just do what Jesus did. Just be like, all right, homie, I understand that's where you're coming from. But have you ever thought about this? Just ask them a question. And just be like, And then when you go home, pray for them. Talk to God about them than just talking to them. Right? I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, even at our church, that, that were full of a religious spirit. And God changed their hearts around. I'll tell you right now. I'll, I'll point out one. Susie Park. Hallelujah. If she's not here, I'm a dog on you, Susie. You, I know you listen to the podcast. Right? Homegirl came from North Carolina. Right? Joined our campus ministry when I was running it. Right? We had a retreat. And I was like, people who want to receive a filling of the Spirit of God, just stand up and I'm just praying for you, right? And just like on the video, I just started praying for different students, right? And she had the audacity, right, to sit there and not only just sit there. I don't mind if you don't stand up. You know, if you're not ready, you ain't ready. And my decision is between you and God, right? But she had the audacity to sit there and she's just searching the scriptures. And she's just trying to like find out where I went wrong in my message. I don't know if that's what she was doing, but that's what it looked like. She was like, Mary, like, hmm. And it wasn't like just a critical spirit. It was a religious spirit, what I saw on her. And I just looked at her, and I said, okay, all right, Susie. This is a victory that Jesus is going to win. And I didn't go up to her and be like, why did you do that during, my, uh, during the altar call? I didn't do that, right? I just loved on her, and I just prayed for her. And I just, I just continued to invite her and outreach, outreach to her. And guess what? Four months later, she was on the prayer team. She was on the ground. She was shaking on the power of God. And she was, her eyes were all fluttering one time. I remember she was praying for her. And she's like, oh, God's so real. And she just kept crying. And then the God opened up her eyes. She started getting all these visions. And she said, I didn't know visions were for today. Well, they are. Home, sister. All right. We're trying. Home, girl. All right. Sister. Go, girl. Sorry. And yeah, because, you know, and God, and God just loosed all those religious spirits off her. And now, man, she is just a champion for the power of God's spirit in ministry. That's, that's, that's the work of God. I'm just going to close with this. And I know, I know y'all, y'all thinking I should have closed a while ago. But look, this is something good. I'm going to close with something real good. Check this out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 10. All right, check out. This is a prophetic preaching right here. All right, if you believe in such a thing. If you don't, if you, if you don't, it's okay. Have you considered that the preaching of God's word can sometimes be, okay, prophetic. Okay, uh, look at chapter 12, verse 10. Check this out. All right, dealt with a couple of the religious spirits. Jesus goes, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they did this so that they could accuse him. Verse 11. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Everyone's thinking, yeah, everybody, I will do that. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So let me ask you guys this question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Check this out. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored. Healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. You know, if you look in verse 10 here, there's a man with a shriveled hand. And I believe that this man represents the church. He's a powerful symbol of what's going on in the church today. And this withered hand, let me tell you what I think it is. This withered hand, by the Spirit of God, I believe that this withered hand is the fivefold ministry. Think about it. If you look in the Bible, what does the Bible, how does the Bible describe the church as a body, as a physical body, and the people that are within the church as members of that body? Right? How many fingers are on one hand? Five. What religious spirits have done, they've shriveled up the fivefold ministry. And the church has been operating without proper leadership for many, 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 many years. And you know what? By the grace of God, they've gotten through and seen some wonderful things at different times and seasons. By the grace of God, they have seen it. But it was not the original order. The Bible says the church is founded on apostles and prophets. That just does not mean just the beginning of the first church that ever existed. That means every church you plant needs to be founded on apostles and prophets for that church to thrive and do well. But all the church has, has these days is just pastors. All they recognize are pastors and then they have deacons and elders as their lay leaders. But what God is doing at this hour, I believe, He's telling in the presence of these religious spirits, God tells this guy, stretch out your hand. In the presence of all the slander and persecution about what's going on today with the Spirit of God on the earth. Amongst in the presence of all these religious spirits, God says, church, stretch out your hand. And God is restoring the fivefold ministry so that the church will be powerful and effective in this last time, in these last days. Think about this. When the original fathers of the American, uh, of the United States of America, when they appointed a president, what was his name? George Washington. Good. Some of the Canadians know. All right. If the American people, they appointed George Washington, and let's say after George Washington is old and retires, they say, oh, you know what? That was just for that period. The presidency was just to begin the country. We don't need presidents anymore. What would the United States of America, what would have happened to them? There would have been anarchy. There would have been more outside attack. The country would not be a United States of America, by the way. Guess what What happened just a few hundred years later because of of slavery? The slavery issue, what happened? The country was divided. And guess who united the country once again? Who was it? Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States. Okay. When you look at nations, you look at even cities, you see leaders that are placed in positions of authority. And those positions are not for just the beginning. They are perpetual. They are continual. But what the lies from the pits of hell have done is they have planted Beliefs within the church to say that was just for the beginning. That was just until we canonized the Bible. And what I'm saying is, it's a lie. What God is doing right now 
He's telling the church, stretch out your hand. Hallelujah. And for the newcomers who don't know the last part of this message, don't worry. Uh, this is a continuing uh, message on the apostolic dimension, which I started a few weeks ago. Uh, you can look back on our podcast and listen to that. Uh, but praise the Lord that our God is doing a mighty work here in these last days. And uh, I believe that as a fivefold ministry is restored and we are making war on these religious spirits, we're going to see a greater measure of the power of God poured out on this earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you. We just come. And Lord, as your people, we ask not just for external obedience to your commands, but an internal agreement with your statutes that not only will we value what appears religious and righteous, we will not just have just the superficiality of Christianity, the outside, the appearance of Christianity, but we will have the substance of it. We will experience, we will not just experience a form of godliness and deny your power, but we would have both the form and the power, oh God, that we as your church will march out strong and that you, at this hour, for every person that listens to this podcast, that you would awaken in them, hallelujah, awaken in them right now, I call it forth, an awakening in the spirits of the people of God to stretch out their hand, to make war against religious spirits from within and also to make war on religious spirits that come to us through different people from the outside. But not to make war in a violent sense, but to make war with just your wisdom and love. And where appropriate, Lord, maybe we do need to rebuke people. But Lord, we, we pray that you'll help us lead, lead us into that. We don't ever want to find ourselves doing what you did and then be off about it, Lord. But we trust that even in those things that your spirit will lead us. And so we just thank you. We praise you that you are the spirit of life. And not only do you give us words and commands and laws, but you, oh God, breathe your life, your spirit into us so that we will walk in those ways and commands and laws. So we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.